WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Tiffany Hansen, in for Allison Stewart. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. On today's show, we'll delve into the Harlem Renaissance, which is the subject of a major new exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And we'll talk about taking a walking tour of some important sites in Harlem. We'll also hear from Todd Haynes, who is nominated in the Best Director category of this weekend's Independent Spirit Awards for his film, May, December. That's the plan, so let's get started. Hi, my name is what? My name is My name is Slam Sadie. My name is My name is what? My name is Slam Sadie. My name is what? Excuse me. Today marks exactly 25 years since Eminem released the Slim Shady LP. It was the rapper's second full-length album, but really his mainstream debut. It hit the album charts at number two, right behind another classic released 25 years ago today, TLC's Fan Mail. The following year, Slim Shady went up against another legendary February 23rd release for the Grammy for Best Rap Album, Things Fall Apart by The Roots. Eminem came out on top in that Grammy category. It was a streak that he'd keep up for his next two albums as well. By the end of the year 2000, the Slim Shady LP had gone quadruple platinum, launching Eminem as a major force in rap and pop music. In 2002, he starred in the autobiographical drama Eight Mile. In 2009, 10 years after the release of the Slim Shady LP, Billboard named him Artist of the Decade. Joining me now to talk about the legacy of the Slim Shady LP is Noah Callahan-Bever, former editor-in-chief at Complex Magazine, former executive vice president at Def Jam, and current co-CEO of the multimedia company Idea Generation. Hi, Noah. Hi there. How are you doing? Great. Thanks. All right, listeners, we would also love for you to join this conversation. Where were you when the Slim Shady LP came out in 1999? Do you remember listening to it? Where were you? How did it sound to you? How did you connect with it? What was your favorite track? And has that held up? How do you rank it among Eminem's albums? You can call us. You can text us, 212-433-WNYC. That's 212-433-9692. And you can reach out, reach out to us on all the socials at all of it, WNYC. 
Noah, just to get into a little bit of the background on the LP. So it was Eminem's major debut, as I said, but it was actually his second album. He released the album Infinite in 1996. So just kind of lay a picture for us of where he was on the trajectory of his career when Slim Shady came out. Well, um, in 1996, he put out the Infinite album and... I mean, that is a record that there maybe are like 2,000 units pressed of in total. Um, it went absolutely nowhere. Um, and unless you lived in the Detroit metro area, you were completely unaware of his existence. Um, the following year, 1997, he put out the Slim Shady EP, right. which got him um, a write-up in the source um, in the Unsigned Hype column. Um, and uh, his now manager, Paul Rosenberg, brought vinyl of uh the single just don't give an f um to fat beats and that is where his like real discovery um from the hip-hop audience started um and then around the same time he started coming to new york um and doing underground records with people like the outsiders um scam um shabam sadiq etc and once he started sort of working that underground circuit he very very quickly became kind of a you know one of the sort of fan favorites i think i read that was the only ep he's ever put out is that right yes it is uh, so. uh so it was also the introduction of slim shady his basically alter ego is that how you would describe that yeah, I mean, if you listen to Infinite, he is rapping very similar to AZ and Nas um, in his style, and he is very chipper and upbeat for most of the record, um, having just had a daughter and looking at life's endless possibilities as a burgeoning rap star. And things did not go as planned, and by uh, the spring of 1997, he found himself, you know, with his back quite against the wall financially, um, professionally, and in a moment of real duress, he sort of conjured this, uh, you know, character, uh, Slim Shady, who, um, you know, had absolutely nothing to lose and was ready to, you know, say the sort of most unhinged things um, that are, you know, antisocial and most people would uh, keep bottled um in their some part of their their head and um that struck a chord um and the sort of outlandishness and the shockingness right. and the scandalousness of um those rhymes combined with a real technical proficiency um just resonated with the audience and i you know he went again from being a virtual unknown even regionally to one of the, you know, up there with most deaf as probably the hottest uh, underground prospect um, in 1998. I do want to get into more how it sort of captured the attention, not only of, you know, us, the public, but also, you know, people in the business in a second. But I do want to just for a second go back to that infinite album that you said very few people outside of Detroit have heard. Just to kind of understand how that album was so different from Slim Shady. Obviously, there was this character, and but thematically also, right? The lyrics and the themes he was touching on were quite different. Yes. I mean, that, that record is, you know, um, the work of a 
person in their early 20s who really feels like, you know, they have uh, an unusual gift and it is going to take them um, to incredible places. And again, he he's, you know, was a new father. Um, his relationship with uh, his baby's mother at the time was in a good place. And I think he was really feeling quite optimistic about how this all would play out. And, you know, of course, you know, um, the, it's, it's hard for people to understand when you talk about it in 2024, but in 1996, the likelihood of a white rapper yeah. succeeding, first of all, credibly, um, but even commercially at that point was quite improbable. Um, and I think he very quickly found that there was very little appetite for what he was cooking up and, you know, found himself dejected and frustrated and, um, you know, in a part of the country that has very little connections within the music industry. Yeah. Um, so very hard to network or, you know, sort of make inroads, um, with people. And, you know, obviously if you listen to the record, he also was doing, quite a bit of uh, a cornucopia of drugs at that point in his life, um, arguably to cope with this sort of uh, spectrum of emotion. Yeah. Uh, Noah, I want to bring our listeners into the conversation. Richard in Brooklyn. Good morning, Richard. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Longtime listener, first time caller. Welcome. Um, Noah, what's up? This is Richard Treats. What's good? Oh, Treats. What's up, man? All right. All right. Great to hear you on the, on the show. Um, just to answer the question, um, my first experience with from hearing Eminem was through um, Stretch and Bobito's show on uh, KCR. And, you know, hearing his voice as a high schooler um, growing to school in, in the city, um, young black male, just thirsty appetite for hip hop. I just never heard anything like Eminem at the time. Um and I never really even questioned the content at the time. It was just kind of like, this is rap, this is edgy, this is crazy uh, lyricism at, that I'd never heard before. And yes, I was a, somewhat exposed to Infinite, but also his name rung bells uh, through the Rap Olympics, um, you know, coming in, I guess, second place, I guess, if I'm, if I'm correct. And, you know, just kind of followed his career um, through the ages. But I also matured as, uh, you know, matured and then immatured as you know music and and youth does uh you know um to us as as listeners and fans of hip-hop but yeah eminem was definitely an influential person um and i definitely went to the first signing at fat beats Noah, i you know in preparation for this of course i went poking around the internet and i heard i saw a lot of comments very much like richard's uh it meant so much to me at such a critical time in my life. Um, how did you? How do you do? We, how do you respond when you see those comments? When you hear that kind of thing from somebody like Richard? Well, I mean, I I think that the interesting thing about Eminem as an artist is, you know, he sort of kicked open the door with, you know the the sort of uh technical virtuosity that he brings to the table with this you know he and he and then he rode uh and i think to to, to richard's point uh a sort of uh a precedent of 
sort of shocking rap, right? If you think about right. uh, Big L, right. Devil's Son, or Nas, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. Um, there was a sort of precedent of young upstart rappers saying, uh, you know, sort of titillating and uh, edgy things in order to capture the attention. And I think he came in with that, but then I would say that, you know, the the and was able to establish an emotional connection with the audience through songs like Rock Bottom. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember what the, the, the slower record that's on the uh, um, low down and not low down. There's a third song on the first single um, that's a, a little bit more introspective as well. And, you know, he was candid about his own insecurities and frankly about the turmoil within his life in a way that not a lot of artists in the genre at least were in that moment obviously tupac who is among marshall's biggest influences was very straightforward about that but in the more lyrical sort of uh canon of hip-hop it's been always much more about bravado and chest beating and again technical proficiency and so the fact that he was able to marry those things i think you know sort of grab listeners by the teeth with this visceral aesthetic and then humanized the story in a way that people like myself and, and treats um, could really connect with um, in a human way where we felt personally invested in his narrative. And we know his mom is Debbie and we know Kim is his baby's mother. And we know Haley is the daughter and Elena is the stepdaughter that he's uh, um, adopted. And, you know, he 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 really opened up um emotionally about this world and painted a i think a very um coherent picture um of the trials and tribulations he was going through and you know that kind of candor um just connects with people in 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 a, in a very palpable and visceral way we are talking with Noah Callahan Bever about the anniversary of the release of the Slim Shady LP by Eminem. And listeners, we would like to invite you into this conversation. Where were you when you heard the Slim Shady LP? Do you remember listening to it? How did it res- how did it resonate with you at that time? And does it still resonate that same way today, 25 years later? 212-433-WNYC. That's 212-433-9692. You can call us at that number. You can text us at that number. And of course, you can find us on all of the socials at all of it, WNYC. I want to hear, you mentioned Rock Bottom, so I just want to hear just a little bit of that. Ayo, this song is dedicated to all the happy people, all the happy people who have real nice lives and have no idea what it's like to be broke as fuck. I feel like I'm walking a tightrope without a circus net. Popping pedigree that I'm a nervous wreck. I deserve respect, but I work a sweat. Noah, when you hear that now, it's easy to understand why it will resonate with some folks. Um, there's a real storytelling that we hear in his work, especially in that song, I think. I want your reaction as well. No, I mean, it, I th- again, I, I think that, you know, 
the bravado and machismo uh, that is so sort of um, foundational in hip hop is obviously uh, one of the major selling points and probably why the music resonates uh, and over indexes with young men. Um, but again, I, I think that the real sleight of hand that Eminem um, brought to the audience was mixing that sort of hyperbolic, you know, hyper-masculinity with this absolute candor uh, around his own insecurities and his own self-loathing. And, um, you know, uh, again, in, if you think about what rap was popular in 1998, very little of it was uh, sort of centered that kind of insecurity or that sort of, um, you know, uh, lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that he, you know, that he was willing to sort of explore those ideas and those themes and those feelings, um, again, just really um, sort of surprised listeners and demonstrated that there was much more there than this sort of cartoony, you know, hyper-violent, uh, you know, ironic, uh, sort of humorous, uh, character that he had, you know, sort of brought to the world with, you know, my name is, for example. Right. Let's listen to my name is when we get back, but we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to all of it here on WNYC. I'm Tiffany Hansen in for Allison Stewart. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm in Tiffany Hansen in for Allison Stewart. We're talking about Eminem's Slim Shady LP, the anniversary of that. Of course, today we're talking with Noah Callahan Bever about that. Noah, let's just hear that little clip again. I mentioned we would hear um, a little bit of my name is just again, one just tiny bit. Hi, my name is what? My name is my name is Slim Shady. My name is my name is. There's an introduction. Pretty great introduction to him, right? For a lot of people who hadn't heard him and to the character, his alter ego, Slim Shady. Um, before we talk a little bit more about that, Noah, I want to bring in um, a listener here. We have Eileen in Weehawken. Hi, Eileen. Good morning. Hi. Um, more and more is flooding back as I hear the conversation. But the first thing that came to my mind, um, I was one of the clowns in residence at the Hole in the Wall gang camp. Um, we used to be there through the Big Apple Circus Conquer unit, now still a presence through Healthy Humor, Inc., which are pediatric clowns. Anyway, at the beginning of each session, each department and area would give an introduction uh, to the campers for that week. And... Um, that, and often there was a song, you know, in the zeitgeist, and so... We used, of course, you know, by way of introduction, my name is, my name, and whatever the name. A, it was very modular, but the first memory that came is a tribute to the founding medical director who co-founded the camp with Paul Newman. Some people know of the camp because of Paul Newman. But Howard Pearson, who was very game to participate with the clowns and stuff, one of our introductions, um, maybe a staff closing or staff opening, uh, the venerable major pediatric doctor 
tons of research and elevation of awareness of sickle cell and work on that anyway, Doc Pearson was working Slim Shady with us. So we were all, my name is, and he, you know, stiffly, my name is, my name is Doc Pearson. You know, anyway, that's the first uh, thing. And I also remembered I had the single and I must have bought it at Sounds on St. Mark's Place, either the CD or tape mm-hmm. single. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a great um, recaller. And Scrubs was also a song of the summer, that summer. Of course. That. Of oh. course, yeah. <laughs> Eileen, thanks so much for the call. Um, I can imagine, Noah, that that's an outcome that Eminem never predicted for that song. <laughs> a- absolutely. Um, I- I'm sure that he would be tickled hearing that. Um, yes. Uh, I-, I think... When, when recording that, I don't think he had any sense of how ubiquitous it would ultimately ultimately become. And yes, the various the various moments it would play in people's lives. Well, you can never really know as an artist how your art is going to connect with every individual, I suppose, right? Certainly. Um, I think that song, though, is so interesting and honestly such a testament to, uh, of course, Eminem's genius as a lyricist, but also to Dr. Dre's um, genius as a producer. Um, You know, oftentimes, and particularly in that moment in the late 90s, as hip-hop was sort of blossoming commercially, um, there was a real challenge in how to take people who are excellent rappers, which is inherently a very complicated, dense format of songwriting, and translate that into huge commercial smashes. And I've always found Dre's choice of slowing down the BPM um, so that Eminem could clearly articulate all of his jokes and all of his punchlines in a digestible way that not only could rap fans hear and understand and appreciate, but also any random person listening to pop radio as well. And to be able to do that on a song that is completely uncompromised in any other sort of commercial, you know, sensibility, um, there's no R&B chorus, there's nothing about it that is not roots hip hop. It is a sample, it is a loop. He just added drums, but again, he took what Eminem was so great at, which was telling these absurdist jokes and slowed it down and created a forum for him to really shine at exactly what he did, which again was totally antithetical to everything that was moving the needle um, at Urban Radio during the time. Um, and also uh, very not obvious uh, as, as a sort of vehicle for a super lyrical rapper. Well, Eminem really idolized Dre and listened to NWA like, you know, a lot of his peers were at the time. So I can imagine that having his attention was really transformative just for him as an artist and career-wise and in terms of his own musicality. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you, to to speak to that, I mean, the the... the... The story as it goes is that the two of them got into the studio and in 24 hours recorded My Name Is, um, Guilty Conscience, and Role Model um, in essentially one and a half sessions. Um, 
that M was just so primed and ready to go that every track that Dre threw on, he just went and was went to work. When we think about their collaboration, we can't help but think about the track Guilty Conscience. So let's hear a little bit of that. All right, stop. Now before you walk in the door of the slicker store and try to get money out the drawer, you better think of the consequence. Who are you? I'm your mother up for the conscience. The nonsense. Go in, gap for the money, and run to one of your aunt's cribs and borrow a damn dress to one of a brown wig. I'm telling you, need a place to stay. Dre, Eminem, two sides of the coin, devil, angel. So talk us through that track a little bit. Again, I think, you know, uh, this is uh, the genius of Dre looking at, I have a super rapping talent here. How do I commodify this and lean into the things about Eminem's songwriting that make him special? And that is his ability to do voices, his ability to sort of um, write in linear narratives. Um, And so, you know, and again, there's this irony because here's Dr. Dre, who is coming from NWA, um, has, you know, is not necessarily known as the friendliest guy in hip hop. Um, but we're going to position him as the angel on the shoulder of these three different characters while Marshall is playing the devil. And um, and then, you know, he gets to craft three uh, very edgy uh, antisocial scenarios um, and then have these two different voices sort of coaching uh, the protagonist as they move through these narratives. And, you know, I, again, it's sort of like very meta because, you know, obviously Slim Shady as a character is sort of the devil in your brain thinking the antisocial thoughts that we all don't say out loud. But then on top of that, now, Dr. Dre, the guy that made The Chronic, who um, has said some of the most randy things uh, committed to two-inch reel, is now actually the one who is the voice of reason. So it's been compared to that track specifically, but also, you know, some of his other tracks on the Slim Shady LP have been called like skits, right? So they're like little vignettes, little skits. Um We have a text here that says Eminem's music videos were a huge part of his popularity for me as a millennial. They were almost skits, more like what we see online now. He was definitely ahead of his time. Would you classify him as being ahead of his time? Absolutely. Um, I think that M really opened, uh, you know, a door for extremely popular hip hop that did not fit sort of the prototypical um, urban and crossover radio uh, format. Um, I mean, if you think about the songs that were working for artists like Jay-Z and Nas um, in that moment in the late, you know, 90s, um, they were all sort of engineered towards the radio and towards the club. Um, And then, of course, they would have, you know, street records um, to bolster, you know, to be sort of like the credible play um, and to sort of uh, appeal to their core fans. And, you know, Eminem came and had completely avant-garde, strange style production that was unique that no one else could rap over. Um, And again, these high concept records, but figured out with Dre how to, you know, 
both from a songwriting um, standpoint, but also from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, turn these into extraordinary commercial hits. And and I think that really that opened doors that allowed people like Kanye West and even Tyler, the creator, um, years later, you know, or even Drake, frankly, in, in sort of very um, tangentially related ways um, to, you know, exist uh you know a, a, in a sort of multi-lane highway that is commercial rap before we leave dre too far behind here i want to take a call from tony in windsor terrace hi tony uh hey quick question um that story about uh, that initial collaboration was so inspiring i'd just love to hear more about that relationship and how the two work together and specifically leading up to the amazing Dr. Dre album 2001, uh, Chronic 2. Um, just want to hear a little bit more about that um, collab and how those two developed as um, kind of a duo. Yeah, Noah. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Tony. Yeah, Noah, to hear you describe it, it was pretty magical. Yeah, I mean, so the, the story goes that there was uh, a young man that worked at Interscope Records, uh, Dean Geitzlinger, who was either a, a, an intern or a very low-level like A&R admin, and he had gotten a copy of the Slim Shady EP and passed it on to Jimmy Iovine um, and said, hey, this kid can just, he's incredibly gifted as a rapper. I don't know what we do with him, but he's hes incredible. And Jimmy Iovine had the sort of brilliant idea of, hey, let me call up Dre and see if he digs this. And they sent the cassette to Dre and it happened that um, Eminem was in LA that weekend recording um, on the Wake Up Show, Sway Calloway's uh, radio show. Um, and he did a freestyle over, uh, I believe, a, I can't remember, maybe a biggie beat um, on the radio and then got a call um, that Dr. Dre was listening to you on the radio and would love to get in the studio with you. And um, Within a couple of days, they got together and ended up knocking out those three records in, you know, basically like a weekend. And uh, and Dre signed him to Aftermath. Mm. And that ultimately, you know, really was sort of the beginning of Dre's second act um, in music. Um, because once, you know, M was a success, that set up the 2001. A lot of those sessions uh, from 2001 um, were recorded either sort of like during the Slim Shady LP sessions or slightly thereafter, um, I can remember meeting up with M a few weeks before the Slim Shady LP came out and he played me, forgot about Dre and uh, what's the difference from 2001 um, with him doing all of the parts, of course, um, and explaining, oh, we're making the chronic two, Dre's coming back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, their success sort of just uh, piggybacked one another. And of course, coming to a, a, prob a zenith in 2003 with um, the signing of 50 Cent and the two M and Dre collaborating to sort of elevate 50 to, uh, you know, the pole position. Noah, before we let you go, I want to get your reaction on one last track here. This is called As the World Turns.
with a bunch of hippies and wacky tobacco planters who swallow lit ropes and light up like jack o What do we learn about him in this track? Well, so it's funny. This record is particularly uh, memorable to me. I, I was sent to Burbank um, in the spring of 1998 to interview Eminem for Blaze magazine. Um, at the time, he was recording um, to some shady LP. And I remember pulling up at the um, little strip mall studio that he was recording in and seeing a parked uh, rental car, like a Lincoln, Lincoln Continental, um, with music blasting out of it. And as I approach the car, I see that Eminem and Royce are sitting in the car and they see me recognize that I'm clearly, uh, you know, the rap guy from Blaze that they were looking to meet, meet up with, invite me in and they're playing the rough mix of this song. And I was just, I, the narrative in this is a hyper-violent, uh, cartoonish, but incredibly uh, grotesque and edgy uh, story of a guy and a girl getting into this epic um, fight. Um, and I was so unsettled by the nature of the content and the jokes, it reminded me of being uh, nine years old and getting uh, Nasty As They Want to Be, the Two Live Crew album, and listening to the Nursery Rhymes song and feeling both completely like enchanted and also disgusted. Uh, and just thinking like this, the visceralness with which I am physically reacting to this music mm. is so unlike most things that you will hear. Um, and also I was, you know, at the time I thought of Eminem as a, an underground rapper because all of his stuff had been very dirty and, um, you know, anti-commercial. And here he is with this melodic chorus and these very sort of lush uh, production. And the combination of it just, I exited that car thinking this guy is going to sell a million records. There's no way that people are not going to talk about this. Like this is it, what he just played me is insane. Literally, literally insane. That's a good place to leave it. Noah Callahan Bever is the former editor in chief at complex magazine, former executive vice president at Def Jam and the current co-CEO of the multimedia company idea generation. Noah, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, for, thank you for having me. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com slash WNYC and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.